Jamie Summers from Afternoons with Heart and Humor. Something you may not know about me is I'm really conscious of what I put in my body. So I eat healthy, try to stay as active as possible. That's also why I was so excited when I heard that Dr. Kellum at the Kellum Stem Cell Institute is able to retrieve my own stem cells and place them exactly where I need them most with focused infusions. If you're ready for something more effective and a healthier way to heal, get more information at KellumStemCellInstitute.com. Hey, it's Doug with an opportunity to catch up with Paul Darty and find a little bit more about his book, Mind Games, Winning the Battle for Your Mental and Emotional Health. By way of introduction, Paul and his wife serve as the lead pastors of Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, also busy at home with five amazing kiddos, and they travel worldwide, speaking at churches, conferences, and crusades. Paul's desire is that people feel encouraged and empowered to live the life of victory, that God has for them. Paul, thank you so much for making time. Hey, thanks for having me, Doug. Honored to be with y'all. Well, I'm intrigued by this, and I think it's amazing timing because mental health uh, is something that so many of us are being impacted by. There's a lot of talk about it. So your book, Mind Games, I understand, comes out of a, a really personal part of your journey. Can you share about that? Yes, yes. So when I... When I uh grew up, I grew up with parents that were pastors, and they started the church before I was born, and it quickly grew fast. Uh, by the time I was born, they were running five or 6,000 people a Sunday, and then all of a sudden, um, he got sick when I was 23 years old. I was in college, just graduated, and my dad, who was like my hero, my pastor, my leader, um, really my best friend. And because when you're a pastor's kid, and our, our church also had a school, so I went to the same mm. school as our church, kindergarten to 12th grade, kids can pick on you and be like, you know, whatever, you're the pastor's kid. And um, so he was literally like my best friend, my hero. He got suddenly sick with cancer, died in eight weeks. Mm. Um, the last thing he did before he died was my wedding. And so when he passed away, my faith was shook. You know, he he preached my whole life on Jesus is the healer, Jesus wants to heal you, mm. and he was the guy that would go up to the hospital, pray for people, and they would get well. Um, he was always giving of himself, always serving other people. So I thought, God's going to heal him. He's for sure good. So when he didn't get healed and life hit me and our family and our church really hard, I just spiraled, and I spiraled into this deep, dark depression that was between 2000, the end of 2009 when he passed, all the way through 2013. It was kind of a four-year um, dark journey for me, and right before he passed away, I had just got hired on to work at the church as, an, as a part-time college pastor, and when you're a pastor's kid, you're free labor, so my whole life I had worked for free for my parents, <laughs> and then... Finally, when I'm 23, I get hired on after college, and just in time for him to get sick, it was really sad. I was looking forward to working with my dad the rest of my life and helping him build the church, and I play music, so I had a band, and I was the worship leader, and then I enjoyed youth ministry, college ministry. So I was like, oh, I'm going to work with my dad, and it's going to be amazing, and then, you know, my first year on staff is when he gets sick, mm -hmm. and... Before I worked there, I worked as a janitor at my university where I went to college. I went to a place called Oral Roberts University. And when I was a janitor there during those three years, I had this huge ring of keys. And so I had 
access to every room across the campus because I had to set up chairs, tear down tables, mm. set up for events, classes, all that stuff that janitors do. And then when I started working for my dad, he only gave me one key. And I was like, Dad, I'm your own flesh and blood. And I'm trusted more as a janitor at my university than I am as the son uh, of an organization. You know, he had 400 employees across our school, our church. We have a dream center that serves the poor in the city. We have a camp out in the wilderness of 150 acres of, of camp activities. And then we have a college that was a Bible school, not where I went to school, but a, um, a really good Bible school. And so I was like, Dad, you know, could I get more than one key? He was like, no, son, you only need the key I give you. It's the key to your office. And then he mm. gets sick and passes away. And mm. I remember during that season of depression, I felt locked out physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. I was locked out of, you know, every room I needed to get into at the church. I had to call a janitor and ask him, hey, would you come unlock the door? Mm. And they would always say, why didn't your dad trust you with the key? Uh, and I was like, well, you know, that's that's part of, uh, I guess, earning it. And I just haven't earned it yet. And they were like, man, sorry, Paul. And I remember just having conversations in my head as if my dad was still on earth and as if I could talk to him or maybe he was peering down from heaven. And I was just like, dad, I wish you were here. You know, our church started losing people fast. My mom stepped in as an interim pastor, which was a really difficult thing for a lot of people to embrace because Mm -hmm. one, she was a woman and in a red state like Oklahoma, um, it's just very conservative. A lot of people did not embrace that Mm -hmm. at first. Of course, all the sweet families that had walked with my parents, um, they wanted to embrace it because they loved her, but I think they had a hard time embracing her as the senior pastor. Mm -hmm. And she was so different than my dad that within the first year, we lost a 1,000 people from our church, and then two, three, four thousand. 4,000. So it was so many negative things happening. It was like she needed me to step in and start helping her preach, but when I would preach, I was so young, and people were like, he's the youngest in his family. I had three older siblings, and in my heart, I knew the night my dad died, I knew someday, I felt the Lord say, someday you're going to serve um, this church as the as the lead pastor. Mm. And I was like, God, if that's supposed to happen, that's going to have to be you because I'm the youngest in my family. I'm the least likely. I, I think I'm the most unqualified person. Everyone else has had more years of preaching experience and leadership. But um, when I told my wife, we had just gotten married two weeks before my dad passed, and she said, Paul, keep that to yourself. We know what happened to Joseph in the Bible when he shared his dream. <laughs> his brothers sold him to Egypt, so we don't want you getting sold, sold as a slave somewhere. So, again, I'm going through all these emotions. I, I'm feeling locked out of all these places. I felt locked out of casting vision. My dad was a great fundraiser. He was a great visionary. Um, he got our ministry debt-free and kept it debt-free wow. all the way up until he passed. And so, you know, all these buildings and the school and the camp, the Dream Center, you know, he was he was used to raising funds to keep 400 employees paid every year. And then on top of that, all these ministries. And once he passed, it was like the funds started going down. The people mm. started leaving. And I just felt so depressed. I felt like I was failing as a son. I felt like I was failing as a pastor. And, and then I felt like I didn't have all the skills 
honestly, to be a great husband and great dad because I was counting on him to be here to help me with that, just to be my, you know, my, my mentor, mm. my coach, my pastor. So during that time, Doug, I just, um, I found myself not wanting to get out of bed. I found myself going through panic attacks. Who's going to leave me next? We're not, we, we had to lay off people. So my mom, she said, Paul, I need you to serve as the associate pastor. And that means you're going to have to do layoffs and you're mm. going to have to watch the, the finances. And so as a, at that time I was 25, 26 and wow. I had to lay off a hundred, a hundred people. Mm. Um, these were people that raised me, rocked me as a baby, watched me grow up in this mega church. And, and now I'm saying, Hey, we can't afford to, to keep you on staff. And, you know, we were t- constantly doing budget cuts and everyone was having to take a lesser salary. It was just, the morale was bad, Doug. And, and mm. during that time, I, I spiraled um, into despair. One night, my wife and I, we were, I think we were getting into a dumb argument about the milk. She really liked organic milk from Whole Foods. Mm. And I was like, I'm trying to save money. We got to get skim <laughs> milk from Walmart for $1.50. You know, and my, like, in, in my mind, I was like, it's all about saving money so we can keep more employees. And she was like, I hate skim milk. I hate Sam's Choice. Aww. And uh, anyways, it was like, we got into a dumb argument and I was, I slammed the door and I left the house that night, started walking down the street and I walked for a couple miles and I came to this overpass where I was looking, looking over an overpass at semi trucks driving below me. And I thought, okay, if I, if I jump here, I could end it all. I could end the pain, the mm. misery. Mm. I could, um, I could, I could maybe end other people's pain. You know, in my head, it was like I was listening to the devil and I was listening to the enemy say, you're not worthy. You, um, you're unqualified. You might as well just finish it all here. You're not going to make a difference. Your best days are behind you. And I was hearing all these negative one-liners. It was like the enemy was on Twitter and he was just tweeting or mm. X, you know, mm. he was just, he was just going off and, and it was one liner after another one liner. And they were all, I was taking them just click and bait. You know, I, I just was taking it. And all of a sudden it was like a raindrop hit my head. It was almost as if my dad was peering down from heaven. Again, he had been, he had been dead now for a couple of years at this point. And I felt a scripture just pop on the top of my head. And it was, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And I looked over that overpass and I just, with tears in my eyes, I said, Satan, I refuse to die. I will live and not die. And I will declare the works of the Lord. And, and I felt like I was in a basement, you know, Mm. for me, depression, some people describe it as a heavy cloud that won't leave Mm. and that that cloud just stays there for months and months or years. For me, it was almost like I walked into a house and instead of staying on the floor where everyone is like normal mental health people, it's like I found a basement door and I went downstairs and then, and then I found another basement door to that first basement. I went down a second flight of stairs. And then I went down a third basement until I was probably seven floors below where I should have been in my mental and emotional health. Mm. I was Mm. paranoid. I was anxious. I was stressed. I was unhappy. I was miserable. And, um, and, and it was like, it it was all these mind games that the devil was playing with me, which is the title of my book. 
But that night, it was almost like I, I started taking steps out of the basement. I didn't just automatically come out, but I, I did start saying scriptures that night with tears in my eyes. I said, I'm more than a conqueror. Greater is he who lives in me than he that's in this world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I just started speaking the word of God. And then I just said, Satan, I'm, I'm going to get out of this depression. And I am going to, it's like, you're going to be mad on the other side of what I'm about to do, I'm going to take that territory um, in my life that I have given up to the enemy. I'm going to walk in greater courage, greater boldness. I'm going to get my mind back. I'm going to get my heart back. And that was kind of the beginning. Um, Now, at that point, again, I know it's funny about this keys, but I was very obsessed with the fact that I was locked out of all these rooms in our building. And I was like, Mom, could I please have some of the keys to the building? I'm the associate pastor. And she said, honestly, Paul, you don't need them. You just need the key to your office. That's the one dad gave you. And one night I was locked out of our main campus building and I called a janitor. I said, hey, would you come and unlock this door? This was probably a few weeks after that bridge overpass moment. And it was a Thursday night at 10 p.m. I went up there to go and play the piano, pray, worship. And he said, hey, Paul, I'm on the other side of town. I'm locking up doors at our, you know, dream center where we help feed the poor and the hungry. It's going to be an hour before I can get back to main campus. And I said, okay. So I start trying to break into the church building. I start punching the glass door. Um, I start... I start trying to shimmy my credit card between the cracks of the door. I start trying everything I can to get into those doors of the main campus. Nothing's working. And so finally I thought, okay, I'm going to take this little key my dad gave me. I'm going to shove it into that keyhole, try to yank that door open, pull it open. And when I stuck it in the keyhole, it fit perfectly. And I was like, what in the world? Mm. And I turned the key and unlocked the door. And I all of a sudden just, looked up at heaven. I was like, God, did you just change my key? Because how in the world did this key just work? And, you know, obviously that's not what happened. I went into the building and I started using that same key on multiple doors. And I realized I have the master key to victory. Um, That's the name of our, so the name of our church victory. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And then I went to our main auditorium, which my dad built a year before he passed away. It's it's an auditorium that seats right at 5,000 people. And it had been getting more and more empty seats every week with people leaving. And I had lost my courage to preach. I had lost my confidence on stage. And I just felt like I was losing. And I said to the key, I said, if this key works on this door, then God, everything's going to change. And I stuck it in the door, unlocked it. And I sat on that stage and I looked at that big room and I just started crying and said, Mm. I can't believe I had the master key to victory this whole time. And I looked up at heaven. I could just see my dad laughing and almost like hitting his head like, duh, (laughs) you've had it the whole time, Paul. Like that, that key, he had entrusted me with it, but he wanted me to figure out what it, what it led to that. He wasn't going to tell me that it unlocked all the doors. He wanted me to discover that over time. And it was almost like it took a couple of years of me grappling in the darkness of depression, despair, and finding my way up those steps to realize I have the key to unlock my doors, to get out of these basements of depression, to get out of these basements of fear and anxiety and jealousy and comparison and just uh, feeling overwhelmed by life. 
And that night, I, I literally looked at that room and I said, this room's not big enough to hold what God's about to do in our church. And um, that next year, my mom said, hey, I, I think I'm done trying to lead the church. I think it's your season. It's your time. Something I never told you is that your dad wrote on a note that our youngest son, Paul, is the one that he felt called to, to lead the church. And she said, we need to have the board of trustees vote on it. But they already had started talking to her that they felt Paul was the one. Mm. And so the board of trustees met and they all, you know, voted on it. And that next year I stepped in and God supernaturally, honestly, I think it was that mindset for me that it wasn't about the physical master key. It was about recognizing I have the master key to victory in my own life. I have the master key, not just to victory as a building, but victory as a life to experience, that I can walk in victory, I can talk in victory, I can experience victory in my marriage, I can experience victory as a dad to my children, I can walk in victory over insecurity, inadequacy, inferiority, I can walk in victory over fear and anxiety and panic and jealousy and, and those mind games, you know, and that's when it was like, it began to click for me, no pun intended, but it was like the key clicked on the inside. And I got up to our church. My first sermon was the master key. I just said, hey, church, I'm not the only one with the key. You've got it, too. And I held up the Bible, and I said, Christ in me, Christ in you is the master key to victory. And I said, if you can win on the inside, you'll win on the outside. And our church began to grow, and our finances rebounded. Our attendance, it's like our school now is the largest school in the city and um, uh, private school. And it's like God has continued to increase every area, but the outside has only followed the inside. So if the inside is bad, the outside is going to eventually catch up with that. If the inside gets good, eventually the outside begins to follow suit. Um, you know, John, John the Apostle in the Bible, he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that your soul would prosper, um, that, that the inside you would be healthy. And I think that is the point of my book, is to help people get good on the inside, to start winning the victory on the mind games, the games the enemy plays in our hearts and our heads. And and for me I've seen the I've seen the results that if I'm doing good in my mind and my heart, then I start leading better. I start being a better husband. I start being a better dad. I start being a better preacher, pastor. And it's not just, you know, this book is obviously a little bit of my story, but it's very much focused on people in the Bible, people even in our current world, um, people who passed away who struggled with mind games and yet found victory over it. Um, I was surprised to find out Mother Teresa went through her own season of deep, dark depression. Billy Graham went through a season of a deep depression. Smith Wigglesworth, uh, the list goes on. Mm. If you go back into the Bible times, it's Elijah, it's David, it's Solomon, it's Peter, it's John on the island of Patmos. It's so many different people that had mind games that had to walk in victory. Um, even Jesus, you know, that, that even he in his own mind had to battle thoughts that, that we all have to battle. And so this book is all about helping us win on the inside so we can win on the outside. Awesome. Awesome. What an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm, I'm excited because of how transparent you are about any everything, panic attacks. My wife uh, also suffers from that. And I think we've seen, unfortunately, that the church a lot of times doesn't know how to deal with that. 
because we feel that we're not prayed up or there's something wrong on our side. How can the church overcome some of this stigma about mental illness? What can be done to help uh, elevate that and not have people live in fear and shame of admitting it? I think it starts with books like this. I think when pastors can can be honest about it, it kind of gives parishioners their, their own permission to be honest as well in connect groups, to open up about it in their home groups, and then, and then to go see counselors. You know, we need more good Christian counselors out there. Um, and I've, I've benefited greatly from my personal counselor. He is a, uh, just an awesome person for me to open up to, talk to. He's got his doctorate in psychology, but he's also a spiritual believer. And I think the church has such an edge when we combine the spiritual, scriptural components mixed with the healthy psychology uh, that's, that's offered today, and you bring both of those to the table, we could help set so many people free. And so many people in the church are battling this. You know, when I started preaching on this, I started doing this series on the mind about five or six years ago because I realized there was that same year, I think it was 2017, 2018. There were two pastors that were in the news that committed suicide mm. all because of depression. Mm. And I remember seeing it. My heart broke for them because I was like, oh, my goodness, that could have been me. That that should have been me. I was that guy on the bridge. And I at that time, I was an associate pastor, but I was still preaching. And to see guys that I even had friendship with that took life um, all because of you know, the stigma, the fear of talking and dealing with mental health issues in the church, everybody's struggling with something. Some people are struggling with anger. Some people are struggling with lust. Some people are struggling with fear, panic attacks, worry. Some people are struggling just with a a, a sense of sadness. And the grief has lasted so long, it's turned into a depression. Um, And we've got to have people feel like it. They have permission to talk about it in church. They have permission to go and get help, and their faith is not broken. God has not abandoned them. They've not lost their Christianity. Mm. Quite the opposite. God is close to the brokenhearted. He pursues the depressed. He pursues the suicidal. He goes after the the lost sheep. He goes after that prodigal son. He goes after Elijah in the wilderness when Elijah was running from Jezebel. And Elijah said, I'm no better than my ancestors. I should die. I wish I was dead. Mm. And God, God still has a plan for him. He still uses him in ministry. So I think Some people feel like if I open up about this, I might lose opportunities. I might lose my job. I might lose my standing in the church. People may not look at me the same. People may not allow me to minister anymore. But it's it's the opposite. I, I have found that when we are honest about our personal mental and emotional struggles, it actually makes people lean in to listen to us more. And I think God uses people as almost like a wounded healer. Um in a way that that there's something about our scars when we show people the scars of, hey, I've walked through some some depression, some loss, some pain. I've wanted to throw in the towel on everything. That that something about that helps draw in everyone else who's carrying secret wounds and hurts and to say, hey, you're not alone and you can get through this. And there's victory. There's light at the at the end of the tunnel. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Well, Paul, I'm curious to find out more. You talk about three proven strategies for fighting depression, anxiety, and emotional trauma. Yes, sir, I do. Well, I don't want to give them all away, but I'll definitely touch on one because I want people to get this book. I really think if they read the book and and see all the the components of it, it's hard to 
to summarize those three points in just a 15-minute podcast. But um, I'll, I'll focus on one just for a little bit. One of the biggest things that I think hinders people from seeing healing mentally and emotionally is um, they're trying to do it alone, and they're, they're afraid to bring someone else into their world. But for me, accountability and community, those, you know, those two components that doing it with someone, talking with someone, finding um, a good counselor, really opening up to a close friend. For me, I began opening up honestly with my wife. And then from there, we both found a really good counselor that just began to help me unpack things. And when you're talking with someone that is skilled in this and they are able to give you some tools to, to work with, they begin asking me questions like, Paul, what happened when you were little, um, when you were, you know, faced with loss and challenges? And I was like, well, I didn't lose anything. I lost my dog, but I didn't lose a parent or a, uh, I didn't lose any person close to me until my dad died. And then once he died, I lost both grandparents the same year. And then I lost, you know, friends. And then people started leaving the church. I had this real fear of who's going to leave me next and who am I going to lose next? And I discovered it started when I was a kid. And I didn't discover that alone. I discovered that in community with a good counselor, a therapist that was a Christian person. But they began to help me unpack childhood trauma and um, some painful losses that I didn't even realize were losses when I was a kid and a teenager. And then through that, just prayer, like sitting with that person, praying together, talking through it. There was one session I remember where the counselor said, okay, we've talked for three hours today. We've got through a lot, but I'm going to leave you to have communion with the Holy Spirit. You're going to take the bread, you're going to drink the juice, and you're going to bring everything to the cross. You're going to write it in your journal, tear out those pages, lay them at the foot of the cross. And this is a way of you giving it to God. And I remember doing that. There was something about that moment. Again, it was triggered through community. I think community helps bring so many good ideas to our battle on the inside. And, and that community could be a best friend. It could be a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be a sister, a brother. It could be a therapist with that sister, with that brother, with mm. that husband, that wife. But I think have, having those people who love you and know you at your darkest and then can give you some thoughts and give you some tools. And it might be messy. There might be moments where conversations feel very vulnerable and you feel misunderstood and you feel like, why did I open up to them? Again, that's part of discovering who the right people are to talk to. Um, but you won't discover that until you start talking to someone. And I think you've got to find that person. And, and in the book, I really talk about how to find that person, how to pull that person or persons into your world to help get more healing on the inside. That's one of the paths and talk about more in the book. Um, and, and honestly, yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there that are, I think they're one step away from victory. They're, it's almost like they have the key. They just haven't figured out how to use it on the doors that are right in front of them. They might feel locked out of freedom, locked out of joy, locked out of laughter. And I, by the way, I love that your podcast is all about helping people laugh, helping people mm. just enjoy life, art and humor. Um, I think that's a huge thing. Like I had lost my laughter for a season and I, I missed it so bad. I, there, was, there was a book I read back in 2011 or 12 when I was really in this dark depression. Someone gave me a book, 
And surprisingly, it was from a preacher that I had not hardly ever listened to up until that moment. And I never would have guessed that that book would have been a game changer in my life, but it was a book called Every Day of Friday by Joel Osteen. Mm. And when I read that book, I started crying and laughing through each chapter and got a hold of him, reached out to him. He knew my family and ended up talking to him for a while just about he had lost his dad and he walked through his depression and discouragement and had to find his laughter. But there was something during that time that I I needed to laugh again. I needed to find a way to start laughing more. Now with five kids, we literally laugh nonstop. Our kids are the funniest people in the world. We got five under the age of nine. Wow. It's a wild party in our house, but a lot of laughter. And, um, and yeah, I think once you press through those seasons of, of wanting to quit and wanting to throw in the towel on the other side of that, there's a whole lot more joy and, and laughter if you'll just press through. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Paul, one final question. Um, what do you feel is the most important thing you hope uh, readers take away after they've read mind games? I think when they read Mind Games, I think they're going to feel more confident in who they are in their own skin. They're going to feel more encouraged about their current season of life, even if it feels discouraging. The book kind of helps flip the perspective on whatever season of life you're in, whether it's the best season in the world or the worst season that you've walked through. Uh, The book is going to help flip that perspective that this season matters and this season is sent as a gift from God to maximize to the fullest, to walk through every door that God wants you to unlock, um, to realize you have the key to victory mentally and emotionally. And uh, I think it's going to help people to feel more confident to talk about their journey and talk about their story and their struggle and their testimony. And I pray that it does for someone out there what, what the story and what the message has done for me, that it helps launch someone out of a season of depression into a season of victory um, and that that season continues for a lifetime. And I pray that any person out there who's just battling fear or panic or loss or feelings of a failure or feelings that um, things will never be good again, or that their best days are behind them, that this book will remind them that the best days are truly still ahead and God is not finished with their story. And they're going to see the victory as they continue to win those games in the mind. I'm Jamie Summers from Afternoons with Heart and Humor. Something you may not know about me is I'm really conscious of what I put in my body. So I eat healthy, try to stay as active as possible. That's also why I was so excited when I heard that Dr. Kellum at the Kellum Stem Cell Institute is able to retrieve my own stem cells and place them exactly where I need them most with focused infusions. If you're ready for something more effective and a healthier way to heal, get more information at KellumStemCellInstitute.com. 